Have you ever felt like life is really nothing more than a storm and you are lost somewhere in it? Snowing and blowing was turning him all around. He was losing his way. He hurried, worried, he'd never make it home. Man, he started to pray, but miles away, a worrying candle was lit with love. Set in a window, a symbol of a faithful promise no storm can drive away. There's a light leading me on through the night calling me home in the storm hold on tight hope is not dead look up ahead there's a light crashing thrashing cut by a mighty wind off a treacherous coast an ocean the motion of anger and hate were aimed at a little lifeboat but faithful hands were up in the lighthouse. The beacon's lamp was throwing its might out on rocket stands. A searching power to point out the way to go. There's a light leading me on through the night, calling me home in the storm. Hold on tight. Hope is not dead, look up ahead, there's a light. When hard times swirl around your life and cut your world like a jagged knife, when you face the enemy to find your field of dreams has been mine, keep keeping on. Don't give up, keep leaning on. Solid rock when you turn and face the Savior's light, all your shadows fall behind. There's a light leading me on through the night, calling me home in the storm. Hold on tight, hope is not dead. Look up ahead, there's a light leading me on. Through the night, calling me home, yeah, in the storm. Hold on tight, hope is not dead, look up ahead, there's a light. Hope is not dead, look up ahead, there's a light. There's a light. Me to shut that off. Thank you, Kevin. I like how the Lord can cheer us through music. Thanks for bringing us that. The scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. I'll give you a little bit of time to get there. If you'd like to follow along, it's a nice message. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. 
And it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Amen. Morning, Fox Valley. And how are you? I, I think there's something that God wants you to know. And I'm going to go into it kind of sideways. My computer has died. I have to start over here. Some of you remember back in the 70s, there was a comedian named Steve Martin. Remember that guy? A wild and crazy guy, as he built himself. And he had a little routine that he did called Get Small. And he would say, you know, I, I got away from the drugs in my life and everything, but every now and then I still like to get small. He says, usually I'm very careful about when I get small, and I know I shouldn't get small before I drive. But the other day I... I did. I, I got small, and I was driving. I was driving while small, and, uh, and a police officer pulled me over. And the police officer came up and said, hey, are you small? And I said, no, I'm not small. I'm tall. Well, I've got to give you run, run you through a few tests. He says there's tests that they give to these people to see if they get small. And what they do is they have a balloon. And if you can get inside the balloon, you're small. Steve Martin made probably a million dollars with that routine. Kind of strange and crazy. But all of you have wanted to get small. I'm guessing all of you have wanted to get small. Because there's a universal experience of going into a grocery store with your small child. And your small child, who hasn't learned to whisper, says, Mommy or Daddy, why is that man so fat? And you want to get small, very, very small. The Bible has some things about getting small. It says, he hath shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to get small before your God. Whosoever, Jesus' words, whosoever therefore shall get small as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and he that shall get small shall be exalted. You know this one. Get small in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. And in Daniel, Daniel having a dream interpreted by the angel, the angel comes to him and says, Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to get small before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. So what is get small? Getting humble, being humble, humility. What is, what is humility? What's a good definition of humility? Let's agree for today, for our purposes, that humility is honestly assessing yourself in light of God's holiness. That make sense? Taking a good, honest look at yourself in the mirror, a good look at yourself, honestly assessing yourself, but in light of God's holiness, not compared to everybody else in the church, not compared to everybody else in the world, in light of 
God's holiness. That's the humility I want to talk about today. That word humble is used in the Bible 73 times, and almost every time it's used, it's in that reference to humility or humbleness or self-assessment in light of God's holiness. In light of God's holiness, not comparing yourself to other men. Another way that you can define a term is to simply describe its opposite. So what would be the opposite of humility? Pride. Pride is the opposite of, is the opposite of humility. Uh, and pride is, is that tendency that we have to exalt ourselves, to build ourselves up, to think more highly of ourselves than we should. Paul writes in the, in the, to the Roman church, he says, I say to everyone among you to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Lots of words of warning about pride in the Bible. We are not to have pride in ourselves. And why should we? Because we are, in fact, wretched sinners. And we deserve only hell. There is none righteous, no, not one. You ever think about why pride is so bad? What's the problem with pride? It creates interference. It directly challenges God. We start looking at ourselves and we start comparing ourselves to others and uh, we stop seeing ourselves in light of God's holiness. We see ourselves as a little better than the guy next to us and we start to think a little higher of ourselves. We exalt ourselves and it gets in the way. I don't know if you've ever seen the TV commercial. In today's parlance, pride is, I got this, I got this. Right? There's a TV commercial for an insurance company where a guy is watching someone juggle running chainsaws. You seen that? <laughs> and he steps up, he goes, hey, give me the chainsaws. I got this. That's the way our nature is. We start to think more highly of ourselves. I got this. I got this. And when we say, I got this, we say, I don't need God, or at least not as much. And God becomes to us like a credit card that we keep in our back pocket just in case, right? I got this. I, got th I can take care of this. I can do I'm better than him, and I'm better than her, and I'm better than them, so I got this. I can do this. And if I can really get in trouble, I'll reach back, I'll pull out my God credit card, and he will bail me out. That's what pride does. It gets in the way. It tells us that we can do it by ourselves. And as one Bible writer says, what a crock of rancid yak butter. I like that term. Scripture tells us that God actively opposes the proud. He actively opposes the proud. He takes actions. He does things to contradict what the proud people are doing or thinking. But he actively, he takes action to assist the humble. I'm not talking about a nod. I'm talking about actively being involved in their lives. In Psalm 147, it says, The Lord sustains the humble, cast the wicked to the ground. In Proverbs 3.34, it says, He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. And that verse from Proverbs is paraphrased by both James and Peter in the New Testament. Peter says it this way. He says, God resists the proud. He resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. I like that paraphrase. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. What do you think of when you think of resist? What is that word? What is, how does that conjure up images in your mind to resist? 
I can tell you as a police officer, I have some images in my mind. When I think of that word resist, I do. When you try to handcuff somebody and they want to resist, they either run, they turn their back on you and run, or more commonly, they pull their hands together under their chest, they roll on their belly, and you can't get at their hands. And so you get, and you're, you're pulling on, you're trying not to hurt them, and you're pulling on their hands, and you're pulling on their arms, and someone's on the other side, and pretty soon a couple more officers come in. We had one down at St. Elizabeth's Hospital. This is years ago when I was working in Appleton. I remember it very well to this day. We're wrestling in the middle of the street with this guy who's resisting. Every once in a while, he's giving us an elbow or a kick, but he's resistant, so we can't get him handcuffed. Resisting. And there's hands and there's feet everywhere, and we're wrestling with this guy, hoping nobody gets hurt. And finally, I get hold of the hand, I get the handcuff, and I'm ready to get it on there. And one of the officers yells out, that's my hand. (laughs) So I backed off. Have you ever felt like God is resisting you? That no matter how much you ask and how much you pry and how much you beg and how much you say, God... Why aren't you there for me? Why aren't you helping me through this? He keeps resisting. There may be a lot of reasons for that. But I can tell you one possibility. I know that Peter says God resists the proud. And so maybe it's time for a self-assessment. Assessing ourselves in light. Honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness. When we are truly humble, David writes in Psalms, he crowns the humble with victory. He crowns the humble with victory. Not because the humble earned it, but because they allowed God to be at work in their lives. You know well You've heard many times the story of the Pharisee and the publican. Jesus told that story. They're in there in the temple, and and Jesus is giving everybody a glimpse of what these two uh, polar opposites, if you will, uh, are demonstrating there in the temple. And he says that the Pharisee is... Is, uh, is, is there kind of loudly proclaiming, praying out loud, thank you, God, I fast and I tithe and I do all of these things. And he looks over at the publican, who is just a miserable wretch on the other side, and he says, and thank God that I'm not like this other man. Right? And what is the publican's attitude? He can't even look up. He can't even stand up. He is on his knees. He's, he's got his face down, and he's just begging for mercy. And what does Jesus say about those two characters that he portrays? He says one was justified, right? He says that the, that the publican who recognized his own condition in light of God's holiness was the one who was justified. And the Pharisee who compared himself to other men Thank God I'm not like this other man. Was not. Now that seems like a simple story. And it seems like a simple message. But let me ask you this. Which one of those two are you? Which one of those two are you? 
Because if you align yourself with the publican, you're being sort of pharisaical. If you align yourself with the Pharisee and you say, yeah, that guy's a wreck. He's never getting to heaven. That's the attitude of the publican. The Pharisee is the bad guy in the story. The publican is the good guy in the story. If you align yourself with the good guy in the story and you say, yeah, I'm kind of the hero there just like that guy. I'm like that publican. You know, woe is me and all that kind of thing. Well, you're acting like a Pharisee. That'll make more sense to you as I go on. You remember... um, In the Old Testament, in Exodus, when Moses was called to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh had a little pride problem. Pharaoh had a little pride problem, and he wasn't going to let the people go. And at one point in Exodus 10.3, it says this, God through Moses and Aaron, he asks Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? God recognized that Pharaoh's problem was a pride problem. It was a pride problem. And how did that work out for Pharaoh? Not so well. One of God's many abilities is that he can humble us. He can humble somebody. He can humble Pharaoh. And if you've ever had that experience where God has humbled you, it is a rather unpleasant experience. Good for you. Helpful for your salvation. But it's not much fun to go through. Many of you will remember that at uh, camp meeting, I used to run security at camp meeting. We had a crew of guys, wonderful people that uh, pitched together, did volunteer work. They're still there doing great work. I'm no longer, I'm divorced from that, but they're doing a great job. The veggie cops, right? The veggie cops at camp meeting. Great crew of people. And we had some great experiences there. Well, and you also know Robbie Allen, who was, I knew him since he was like 16 or 17, and uh, kind of mentored him. He wanted to get into law enforcement, and he wanted to help us on the security team. And so once he turned 18, he became one of the members of the team. And then he went off to college, and I kind of kept track of him. And um, he came back from college, and he enrolled in the police academy at Fox Valley Technical College. And so I was keeping tabs on him, and he was in the summer program, which meant he couldn't be at camp meeting during the week. So we were doing our security work there, and I knew that Robbie was going to be in the academy, doing all that stuff they do in the police academy, but he was going to be at camp meeting for the weekend, and I was looking forward to seeing him and catching up and seeing what he'd learned in the academy. Now, I know that in the academy, they teach things like defense and arrest tactics, what to do with that guy that's resisting, and other things, right? And if you ever get attacked, what to do, and how to break holds on you, different things like that, you know, hands-on tactics. I know he's learning that stuff. So it was Friday afternoon. And I was walking through the campgrounds, and I spotted Robbie. He was down by, uh, I think at that time was still the tent, but he was down there, and he was talking to John Campbell, who was another one of the guys from the security uh, department, one of the other veggie cops. And I spotted Robbie, and they were situated in such a way that Robbie had his back towards me, but John could see me. So I went like this to John, and he played along. And I snuck up behind Robbie where he couldn't see me. And I'm thinking to myself, now this is a guy in the police academy. He's being taught all kinds of defense and arrest tactics and everything. I want to see what he's learned. I'm going to test him just a little bit. See, see how he does. I get up behind him. I've got to be careful because I might get an elbow. I don't know. He's going to kick me. I'm not sure what's going to happen. He may flip me and throw me on the ground. I'm not sure. I come up behind him, 
hand over the head, and I get him in a headlock. I kind of pull back a little bit. And I'm ready for anything because I don't know what I'm going to get. I'm afraid it's going to hurt me. But I'm ready for anything. And instead, he just kind of tightens up. He goes, ow! That's not what I expected. So I backed off a little bit. And he said, ow, you're hurting me. This is not what I expect from a guy in the police academy, right? Maybe he got hurt. Maybe he got hurt in the police academy. I don't know. So um, I released him. And then God gave me one of those moments. He helped to humble me. He got, helped me to get small. As Robbie turned around and I saw, I looked into the face of a complete stranger I'd never seen before in my, in my life. <laughs> now, from the back, he looked kind of like Robbie. From the front, not at all. Yeah, now, what do you say at a moment like that? I can tell you I wanted to disappear. I wanted to get small, really, really, really small. You know, I still see that guy at camp meeting. He goes like this. He has a bad neck. A little over a year ago, I was doing pretty well. When I compared myself to you guys, uh, I was doing pretty well. I was running. I was lifting weights. I was feeling pretty good. Yep. I got this health thing. Till I urinated blood and ended up in the hospital to have my kidney plucked out because of cancer. That'll help you get small. That'll help you get small. One of the problems that we have with pride, it's natural for us, it creeps into our lives, but we don't see it. It happens, and we don't see it. It's like weeds in the garden, and you don't notice it until they're too tall. Revelation 3.17 says, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, I do not need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. So how do we get small? How do we do that? How do we make sure that we're weeding the garden? How do we make sure that we're doing the things that help us stay small? Here's what one Bible writer says. Daily, not once a month, not once a quarter, daily before God and at his feet, lay down all your possessions, your home, your cars, your education, your strengths, your opinions, your money, your abilities. These things have been tricking and lying you, lying to you, making you think that they are taking care of you in some way. Face the music. You are absolutely and completely sick. You're perverted. Your thinking is flawed. Your opinions are pretty much worthless. You're selfish. You constantly scheme and plan contrary to God's ways. You have no power in yourself to do anything right. You're incapable. You're without any power, any control. You have no rights. You deserve hell, nothing less. You are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked, and in dire need of a Savior. Get that realization every single day. Again, assess yourself in light of God's holiness. There are those who believe that they're going to get to heaven because they're pretty good. 
They're pretty good. When they look around and compare themselves, some of the things that are going around, some of the things that are going on in their neighborhoods or going on next door or going on at work, they're, they're pretty good. They're pretty good folk. They're pretty good folk. They're top of their class, you might say. They're top of their graduating class of a billion. Top of their class of a billion. Well, that'd make you feel pretty good, wouldn't it? Except the whole class is failing. The whole class has failed, in fact. What good does it do to be top of your class if the entire class has failed? And some people look at their salvation as if they're top of the class, so that's okay, I'm going to make it because I'm top of my class, not realizing the whole class has failed. And the only way is through a Savior. So in our church, we have an ordinance of humility. Ah, oh, Kevin's going to talk about foot washing. Oh. It's not one of the things we get really excited about, is it? I mean, if we would announce next week, next week, be here, we're going to wash each other's feet. What happens to the attendants at the church? Oh, I got to go visit uh, relatives. That's the week you're on vacation. We make excuses. It doesn't happen as, as it ought to. Ellen White writes in Desire of Ages, There is in man a disposition to esteem himself more highly than his brother, to work for self, to seek the highest place. You hear what she said? She said you have a disposition to do that. You, you are naturally prone to get proud, to compare yourself to others, to try to be top of the class, top of the failing class. There is a disposition to esteem himself more highly than his brother. And this results in a lot of bad stuff, bitterness of spirit. And she says, the ordinance preceding the Lord's Supper, the ordinance of humility, the foot washing service, is to clear away those misunderstandings, to bring man out of his selfishness, down from his stilts of self-exaltation, down from his stilts of self-exaltation, to the humility of heart that will lead him to serve his brother, that will lead him to serve his brother. That's the outcome of true humility. I got permission to tell this story. You all know Joe. Joe Getcho. The last time I was at your church to speak was communion. And we had the ordinance of humility. And I heard whoever it was up here announcing where to go. You know, these people are going to go upstairs, and these people are going to go here, and these people have smelly feet, so they go outside, and these people are in the basement, and these people. And we have, for those who, ha are, uh, who have mobility issues, they can come in the back room. And I instantly thought of Joe. I met Joe at this church. He's always beaming. He's always bright and happy. He has no reason to be from my perspective, but he's one of the most joyful people I know. And I thought, I'm going I'm to go see if I can wash Joe's feet. I'm going to go see if I can wash Joe's feet. Wouldn't that be a nice thing to do? I'm going to go wash Joe's feet. So I went and I asked him, and his caretaker, is it Jamie? Jamie. Jamie was with him, and, uh, and he was, yes, he said, absolutely, you can watch my, and I'll wash yours, okay? And so we went to the back room, and, uh, and we did the ordinance of humility. Now, I learned a bunch of things from Joe that I did not know before, okay? We shared some things, and I, I said, Joe, I, don't, I really don't know what condition you have. I see you, I know you're in the wheelchair, but I don't, I don't know anything about your condition. And he said he has CP, cerebral palsy, and he explained to me that that happens often at birth, uh, from a 
lack of oxygen to the brain. Many times it's from the umbilical cord wrapped around the neck or something like that. He, doesn't, he said, I don't know what happened in my case, but, you know, I've had this from birth. And so I learned that from him. And I said, see, I'm, I'm friends with Joe on Facebook. And so I see him sending out messages and stuff. And, and I said, well, how, how do you do that? You know, I mean, he doesn't have good uh, ability with his fingers to be typing messages on a keyboard. I said, how, how do you do that? And he laughed. He said, and I'm, I'm going to imitate Joe. Please don't think that I'm, I'm doing this in a mean way at all. But it's hard for Joe to talk. And he really has to work at it. And he said, I use my nose. He's typing messages with his nose on a keyboard. How hard must that be? How long must that take? And I'm thinking about these questions that I have sent him on Facebook, thinking, why did I ask him that? Just ask him yes, no question. So he's got a simple response. He uses his nose. Right? Yes. So before I gave this speech, this, this, this message today, I wanted to make sure Joe was okay and his church family to be sharing this information, so I sent him a message on Facebook, and I thought, I've got to make this simple for Joe. So I asked him only two questions, two yes-no questions. Number one, Joe, are you going to be at the Fox Valley Church this Sabbath? That's an easy yes-no question. The second one, do you mind if I tell the story about our experience on the Ordinance of Humility? And I got his response. Question number one. God willing, I'll be there. Question number two. If the Spirit moves you in that way, then I say go for it. (laughs) And I got the pan out, and I washed Joe's feet. And it was a unique experience for me. I don't know what I expected. But I enjoyed the conversation of, uh, God, couldn't you just heal him? You know, he's such a wonderful man. Couldn't you just? And I found myself as if looking in a mirror saying, God, thank you that I'm not like this other man. And I felt a little bit like a Pharisee going through the motions, doing the ritual, washing the feet, because that's what I'm supposed to do, showing that I'm humble, that's what I'm supposed to do. Got a guy in a wheelchair, washing his feet, doing the servant role, but maybe my heart wasn't quite right. And then Joe said, Now I'll wash your feet. How's that going to work? You know how Joe is with his hands. He's mostly fists, and his movements are jerky, right? You've seen that. So I said, okay. We got out the pan, the basin, and Jamie helped hold it. And uh, I sat back in a chair and got my feet up near Joe's lap as Jamie held the basin. And that man washed my feet. Not like you might expect it. Not in the traditional way. But he was beaming with joy. And he had those fists in the water, jerking around, hitting my foot. He's punching my foot with his fist, washing my feet the best he can. And he says, me, you 
que é foot massage. <laughs> and I cannot explain the experience, but to see Joe and the joy on his face serving me brought tears to my eyes. I said, Joe, no one has ever made me cry when they washed my feet before. What a powerful experience it was to understand true humility and true service. Not because it's a ritual that you're supposed to do every 13 Sabbaths. Because you genuinely want to serve and do something for somebody. Joe, that was a powerful experience for me. To be humble is to say, whatever I am, whatever my merits in human eyes, my goodness compared to the goodness of Christ is just filthy rags. I'm not the only thing I am fit for is to serve. How may I serve you? That's humility. The only thing I'm fit for is to serve. How may I serve you? Serving is the outcome of true humility. When I was working in Appleton, I was working as a supervisor. I had a crew of officers who were reporting to me on night shift working downtown. And I came in one night. We have lockers down in the basement, and, and uh, we typically keep our boots under the, under the bench. And I came in one night, and my boots are no longer under the bench. They are on top of the bench. And they have been very nicely polished by one of my officers. That's weird. My newest, he's one of the newest officers. He has come in early. He has polished his boss's boots and set them on the bench. What do you do about that? I'll tell you what I did. I made fun of him in roll call. Oh, we had a good time laughing about the new guy who's, who's uh, you know, trying to get on the good side of his supervisor by polishing his boots. Whoa, we laughed. He came up to me later after that, and he said, I just want to explain why I did that. He said, I used to work at Gold Cross Ambulance, and there was a guy down at the hospital that, you know, we'd work, they worked 24-hour shifts and stuff, and during the night, he would just get up, and he would go around, and he would find all the shoes he could, and he would polish them. And so this officer had asked him one time, why do you do that? And he says, it's just my way of serving other people. It's just something that I can do to serve my fellow man. And he said, I saw the boots down there, I saw your boots, and I just, it seemed like a way I could serve. I wish he hadn't said that. Now I want to take back everything I said in roll call. I want to leave you with six words. Six words. That's a simple summation of the sermon. These are really deep. All right? First three. God is God. You got that? God is God. You got two of them. God is God. Thank you. All right, you ready for the next three? We are not. We are not. God is God. We are not. God is God. We are not. And we need to remind ourselves of that every single day because it takes a daily weeding of your garden, a daily reminder that you're not comparing yourself to the rest of the class. You're comparing yourself to the holy God. And in that comparison, you are nothing. You are filthy rags. 
God is God. We are not. We need to acknowledge that fact and act like we believe it every single day because he must increase and we must get small. We must get small. He hath shown thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly and to love mercy. Get small before your God. Let's pray. Almighty, omnipotent Father. Too often we look in the mirror, we look around us, and we compare ourselves to each other. We compare ourselves to fellow man, and we see which one has a little taller stature, which one's a little faster, which one's a little better, which one's being good and not getting in trouble compared to the others around them. Instead, Father, let our mirror be to look daily at you and your holiness and see that our own accomplishments, our own stature is just filthy rags compared to your holiness and your goodness and your perfection. And it doesn't matter if we are top of our class, our entire class is failing. And the only way that we have any good is when we receive it by grace from Jesus Christ our only Lord and Savior. Help us, Father, to learn true, joyful humility, the kind of joyful humility that smiles and willingly says, how may I serve? And in doing that, Father, may we find that you do not resist us, but you pour out your grace upon us and give us blessings beyond measure. In the holy name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Only Christ, Father, that is our prayer. And let that resonate, that song and that message in our hearts as we go from here today. Dismiss us with your blessings. In the holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.